I think it's fair to say we all reacted to 2016 in different ways. Tim Urban, the founder of Wait But Why and the author of Viral Explainers, on topics ranging from procrastination and the AI revolution to romantic relationships, plus probably my favorite on the Fermi Paradox, well, he reacted by spending three years researching the story of us. Literally. That's, that's what his most recent series is called. It's a deep dive into modern psychology, society, and politics. With over 100,000 words now written, he joined the Sunday Long Read podcast this week to talk about his website's history and the future of everything. Here's our conversation. Enjoy. Tim Urban, welcome to the Sunday Long Read podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Thank you for, for joining us. And before we get into anything you know too crazy you've talked about, uh, artificial intelligence, procrastination, relationships, uh, the Fermi Paradox, on and on, why, why don't we start with Wait But Why's origin story? How, how did this website get started? Um, well, I uh, before Wait But Why, there was um, a very not well-known blog called Underneath the Turban, which I wrote for six years. Um, from I think like 2005 to 2011. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I did it, it as very much a side project, but I really liked it. Uh, and I thought like, you know, maybe if I went full time writing, um, it would be something I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't get bored of. And I would, uh, I would, I would, um, you know, maybe just actually have a really good time writing a lot more. And so that, that was in my head. And then um, separately, I was at the time um, working on a business that I had started with um, an old friend named Andrew Finn. Uh, and he and I were, it was like a test prep business for students who wanted to go to college in the US, um, you know, like online test prep. So uh, that was that was what we were working on. And I, I was kind of going crazy, um, not doing uh, one of my creative side projects full-time I, I had spent 10 years doing like a lot of things uh at the same time none of them particularly well because I, I wasn't putting much you know enough time into any one thing um and uh talked to andrew about this and we kind of came up with the idea to uh do a full-time blog where i would just go uh and, and write um you know right all the time uh, and so that was the kind of the beginning it, it really didn't have um m much of a plan other than that it was uh, yeah. j just uh didn't really know what i was going to be writing just um just wanted to you know i, I had a lot of various things i, I wanted to write about and just kind of started from there did you give yourself you know six months or a year and see what happens or, or you're just like this is what i'm gonna do well, I, I procrastinated for a full year once <laughs> once the idea happened on actually publishing the first post. Um, uh, there was just, you know, first a few months of kind of thinking, okay, that's a good plan that I'll do at some point. And then eventually um, I, uh, I actually went to Easter Island for a month um, to force myself to do this because um, I, I just trying to pick like the most isolated possible place um and I, I went there with the goal of like when i come out of here the site has to be named and designed mm -hmm. and to have the url and i have to um have everything all set up and i have to have written the first few posts and um and then i'll start publishing when i get back and so i, I did mostly did that um still came back and took an, another few months to uh <laughs> 
finish everything. You know, it's, yeah. I had to like figure out how to get like a Facebook share button on the mm-hmm. site as, and I had to like learn how to be an, uh, to, to do the most basic HTML coding, which I had never <laughs> done. So I, I, um, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good task for a procrastinator because there was, um, there was a lot of like icky little things I wanted to like do and get right, um, for, for, um, you know, things like SEO that I was trying to figure out. So anyway, uh, mm-hmm. it took, it took a while, but then, uh, then, um, in summer of 2013, finally published the first post. Yeah, it's awesome. So, so was the name Wait But Why? Was that was that conceived, you know, among the Moai in, in Easter Island? Uh, I, I, I think so. I think um, <laughs> I had a huge list that I made there. And um, mostly I was on GoDaddy for eight hours <laughs> typing in anything I could think of dot com to see what was available and not much is. And most of the things that are are available for a reason because they're really dumb names. So I, I had like a huge list of like really quite bad names. Um, and Wait For Why kind of stuck out um, as as one I liked that was also available that, um, that you know, I sent over to Andrew and to my girlfriend and um, everyone seemed to agree. It seemed like the, the best option. So that was that. And now I have all these explanations for <laughs> why it's called that, you know, mm-hmm. as you know, of course, because it's, it's, it's a reminder to, you know, pause and question things. And all that. But actually, it's like, it just was available. And I didn't really know what it meant. But I kind of liked it. So that, that, that's how that got going. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the perfect backstory. Um, exactly. And, and so you started it out, you were writing weekly, right at, at the beginning and, and for some period of time? Actually, twice a week. It, the, the initial oh, wow. tagline was, New post every Monday and Thursday, uh-huh. um, which I held to for about five weeks. Um, uh, and so the posts were obviously very short. Uh, some of them had written, been written in Easter Island. Um, and uh, and then and then I um, I wrote a post that kind of went the most viral so far. And I thought, well, this one actually I spent a week on because I had taken one day off in order to finish it. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe there's some connection there between the post that did the best and the one I spent the most time on. So maybe I'll just do every week. And I went to new post every Tuesday, which that stuck for almost a year. Um, so, yeah, that, then it was a weekly thing. And, and so was it a matter of the, the success allowed you to, to post less often? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a combo of the fact that some early readers had come in, which gave me a little bit more, uh, you know, I, I felt a little more relaxed about like, okay, I can, I probably can get away with just one thing a week and still have readers, especially because, you know, I, I, I suspected that, uh, that, that, that spending a, because the thing is, you know, at the time, BuzzFeed was just blowing up and sites like Upworthy and, you know, and I, I wasn't going to out quantity any of those sites. Uh, right, they, right, had, right. they had 100 things going up a day. Um, and, but, you know, so so the, the only game I was in is trying to out quality any any other things. Um, you know, it's like the, the, the one thing I could beat them at. Um, and... So I doubled down on that and thought, you know, what if I do one a week, but it's better if, it, if, if, it's, an, if it's a good notch better than the post I would do if I did twice a week, that's a good trade here. Um, and so 
so yeah, I think I think it was the right trade at the time. Yeah, and it, it, it's funny. It's what the website is uh, a little over six years old, right? And it, it's been feels yeah. like three or four, you know, kind of internet publishing life cycles in, in that time. You mentioned, you know, back then, you know, the the, the push for, for for headlines that people will click and, and a million stories every hour and and, and all of that. And I'm curious for you, what what was your kind of strategy when it came to Obviously, the the viral posts were a great great way to get your blog out there and, and to get people to to sign up. But were you concerned about you know creating people that would keep coming back if if it was not you know an every minute every hour updating website? Um. So yeah, I mean, the the um I, I wasn't concerned about you know, not having, I, I just, it wasn't going to be the kind of site people are just like on, you know, they mm-hmm. just like go on and they refresh <laughs> and they come back after lunch and they refresh again and they read yeah. some more things. And they, you know, it wasn't going to be that site ever for anyone, mm-hmm. um, no matter what I did. Cause it was, it was, unless we decided to go a whole different route and hire a bunch of writers and actually try to, you know, out quantity or, or at least compete with those, those companies. Um, so instead it was just like, I, I wanted to, I want, I wanted to, um, you know, I knew out there, it's a big world on the internet. Is, there's literally billions <laughs> of people. And I was, I always had the thought that like, I'm going for, if there's an, if you take a sample of a thousand random people on earth, one person in that thousand is the one who would like my posts the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, of a thousand, one of them is going to like, absolutely love what I'm doing. I, I don't know. I don't know how many more than one, but at least one probably will super like it, right? Because you basically can find one person that likes anything that's reasonably high quality. There's one person that happens to be obsessed with it. And so that if, if you can just like th- that, that one in every thousand that happens to like my stuff the most is 7 million people on earth. That's a 7 million person potential yeah. audience of people who happen to um, be super, super, you know, click, you know, they click perfectly well with my sense of humor and my interests and style and whatever. And so that was kind of the thinking was like, I don't, I don't have to be broadly appealing. I I have to crush it for someone. Um, and so I I always thought of myself as the target audience. I said, look, you know, I know exactly what I would like. If I'm the one person in a thousand, I know the things that I probably like more than any other person in that thousand. And I'm going to try to write those things because I know that if I would feel that way, then some other people will too. So I, it's, I tried to um, pick topics that, that I would like to read about and, and you know, be visual uh, about the style or whatever um, and put fun facts in that might bore a lot of people, but I would happen to like. And mm-hmm. I just kind of went down that line of thinking of, um, you know, yeah, but, you know, just using myself as the, as the focus group, basically. And, uh, and um and yeah and, and and so there are certain things that i i like more than any of my friends like i find something interesting and i would tell it to everyone in my life and they would mm-hmm. some of them would like it more than others but I, I would be the most interested in this thing and that's the cool thing about again the internet is you actually can find um the exact people who happen to be that person in their group of friends again and again so yeah it it's it just i i by by publishing even once a week, if you can collect those people, they're so into it that they'll not just, you know, read the post, but they'll subscribe to your newsletter and, you know, keep, uh, you know, let you contact them. They'll, they'll follow you on social media and they'll share your stuff and they'll become evangelists for the site. And so I just was, yeah, that was it. It was just like, 
just picturing that audience of people and writing to them and figuring that if they found it, they would like it enough that once a week would be plenty for them to, you know, say, oh, no, no, I, I, I for sure want to read everything else this site comes out with. Yeah. And I don't know if it feels this way uh, to you, but but from my perspective, one of the things that makes Wait But Why unique was how successful it was, how quickly. You know, I think a lot of these things take one, two, three years to figure out their own voice, to find, you know, the community before they have that, that viral post. But you, from my perspective at least, you know, really caught on very quickly, and, and that's a great thing. But I'm curious, you know, what kind of burden that put on you as you're figuring it out yourself and, and whether there's, you know, issues of, of perfectionism uh, along the way. Yeah, I mean, I, I had, um, I had, you know, because on that old blog, I had actually written 300 blog posts. They were much shorter. But I was writing, you know, I don't know, um, once or twice a week for six years. Um, so I, I had kind of found a voice that I was mm-hmm. pretty comfortable with. And I had figured out, you know, on that, towards the end of my time writing that blog that I like drawing, like stick figure drawings to, to, to like supplement the writing. Um, and um, and so, so I had some of that worked out. But um, yes, the you, you definitely hit on something with the you know, I'm already kind of a perfectionist. Um, You know, I think like anyone who procrastinates, it's there's something going on, maybe multiple things going on. It's very few people are just like, plain lazy. And uh, they just would rather do this than work. I mean, there's something psychological usually going on if it's like a serious thing. And for me, one of the things that leads into it is, um, is perfectionism is is this this kind of compulsive um, there's this seven-year-old version of me in me still <laughs> who was like who would have like a little internal fit if like he couldn't do things like the perfect way he wanted to. Um, was like you know, you know who who just would get really satisfied by doing something perfect, and that that kid is somewhere still in making a fuss. Um, and and so yeah, when you have uh, a bigger audience, um, yeah, the stakes feel higher, and you the beginning you know you just feel like hey let's just like i'm just gonna write some things throw them on the internet you know also there was anonymous for a while and after the you know the kind of the second post that went viral went like you know quite viral i I said (laughs) okay i'm not gonna be anonymous because i'm getting requests to do interviews and it's just too complicated and i and i also just want to connect with this readership i thought of you know it was like a question mark we we were like discussing because there's a there's a pros and cons to being anonymous and to not Hmm. and if you're anonymous, it's cool in some way because it, the mystery is interesting. Um, it makes people very intrigued, and no one can put you. It's hard, much harder to put you in a box of any kind. People can't make assumptions, uh, and you don't have to worry about you know your reputation. You just can do what you actually want. But you know, I, I, th- I thought that the that what you lose is that there's a distance between you and readers, um, and if you can just be an open person, they can also hear you in interviews. You can they can know about your life a little bit and you can talk to them about, um, you can just relate, you know, you can relate your experience as a human. Um, that I thought was more valuable, um, than the kind of mystery and intrigue of, and, and, um, kind of protection of being anonymous. So stopped being anonymous. And so now that that's a little extra pressure, you know, it's like, okay, you know, this is actually my name. Um, before, before when, when I was anonymous, some people would send us, you know, I would get someone would email me or uh, one of the posts and be like, you'd like this. And I thought that was hilarious um, uh, without knowing that, that it was me. So it, it was fun. But I um, but yeah, now it's like it's out there. So 
um, yeah, the perfectionism ramps up and also um, the it's, it's there's a natural kind of um, tendency, I think, with this kind of thing to if you're going up on some metric, whether it's the poster getting funnier or longer or better researched or whatever mm -hmm. the metric is for any site, I, I think you want to outdo yourself. And so I would always feel like the posts I wrote a month ago are, are, aren't good enough. And, you know, now, I've, you know, if I did something new that really went well, well, that's the new bar that I, I want to hit every time. So that also can get to a weird place where you start just like the, every, before every post, it's just this like epic dread of having to do this thing that you think is great. It's supposed to just being like, hey, I'm going to write a blog post and some of them will be good and some of them will be bad. And so, yeah, it definitely added something. Yeah. The last question I wanted to ask uh, about the evolution of, of the business is is the business. So, you know what, you, you mentioned Andrew a little bit, but, and I know uh, on your Patreon page, which everybody should go check out and we'll, we'll link to, um, you know, you kind of mentioned the hesitancy you guys had to ask readers for money, but what, what, is, what has been the evolution there in terms of supporting an, an independent site like this, as I said, in, in various, you know, forms of the internet as we've seen it? Yeah, so originally, um, Andrew was going to be, like the business side of this. Um, we, we had this other company and we still have this other company. And he was the, his main job was being the CEO of that company and continuing to grow that company. Um, uh, and it has a lot in the last, you know, since I started Wait for Why, he's been, he's been busy doing that. Um, so the, he, he was part-time going to work on the business side of this blog. And then I started to drive him crazy because I wouldn't want to do anything like marketing to the email list or ads. I, I was very, anal about not like doing anything that wasn't within like the perfect little universe of kind of creative world that I wanted it to be. Um, and every time he would have an idea, I would just say, well, like later. And, I, and so eventually I think he kind of checked out with that mission because I wasn't really um, letting him do his job uh, in any, any reasonable way. So um, we, 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 we didn't have a business side for a while um, and we were able to, you know, get away with that because we had this other company that could fund this project early on. We it couldn't go on forever. It wasn't fair to the employees of the other company if that, if we didn't pay that company back and we had, we had to, you know, figure something out. Um, but um, so uh, the, we did have ads for a little while. Um, they were fine, but we replaced that with a store um, with just, it's simple products like t-shirts and posters with the images from the site on them. And, um, and that, that did, it was about the same revenue as the ads were bringing. And so that, that was a lot better. It felt a lot less annoying, um, to me to have a store than ads. And, um, and then, yeah, there, there, there was, there was stuff like Patreon that I had heard about, but both of us were kind of anti that idea for a while. It felt just, we just did not like, yeah, we didn't want to ask anyone for money. We just, you know, if you wanted to buy something from the store for your own selfish reasons, or because you really want to support the site, great. But like, you know, Patreon is directly saying like, you know, can you support the site? And we're not, you're not getting anything in return. Um, and it just seemed icky. And then my friend, Philip, um, who runs the site, Kurtz Gassat, uh, K-U-R-Z Gassat on, um, on, uh, YouTube. It's a German name, but it's the best site ever. And he and he actually reached, he started with the site around the same exact time we I started. And he reached out a couple months in. And we collaborated on one project, um, and he became a good friend. And, and his site um, is is currently, I think, like the seventh highest Patreon uh, patronage um, that exists. Uh, they're they're like hugely popular now. Um, and he was 
persuading me for a while. You gotta do this. Just trust me. It, you, you, it won't feel bad. It'll like readers have all this goodwill towards the site. They've, you know, you've never asked for anything. Like people will be happy to. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll try it. So I put up a little video and did Patreon, and um, yeah, he was right. Like, there was just a lot of people. You know, again, if you think about it, it, it's about this percentage. If it's one in a hundred of the people who read the site or happen to be the people who like supporting, you know, like donating to um, to things they like on the internet, and so um, that added up to enough people where it's a monthly donation that that turned into a really nice, you know, steady, reliable revenue stream because um, you're not going to lose all your patrons in one day. It doesn't happen like that. You'll lose some every month and gain some every month. And it becomes this pretty stable income that actually allowed us to hire someone um, in addition to paying my salary. So, and, and, and funding our, um, you know, hosting. And there's a lot of little costs for the blog. There's hosting, there's this Facebook ads because Facebook wouldn't let you reach your own readers, your own followers without paying. Um, and there's glitches on the site inevitably and other things um and so and then it all you know covered that and an employee and so we hired alicia um uh who's still working with us she's been here for almost four years um and a huge part of the the site now so yeah it's been that 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 turned out to be a really good model for us and then um and then we try to supplement it with other things where we can um sometimes there'll be uh, someone will request um uh me as a speaker and that that you know we we, we use that to, to fund wait but why and um um there's there's little things here and there that, that all cobble together to support the site just fine and it's great it, it it means that there's a long runway here we can do this for a long time and we don't have to worry about you know doing things that are that they can make more money you can just focus on what's creatively most kind of exciting yeah absolutely how if at all does does the fact that you guys are, are using patreon how does that affect the stories you write, if, if, if at all? It, it doesn't affect it at all because the cool thing about Patreon is, you know, it's it, it, the only people who, who do it are already hugely into what you're doing. It's 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 people who are really supportive of exactly what you're doing. And I, I find what they want is just for uh, me to do a lot of writing um, exactly the way that I've been doing it. Um, and so it's, it's really, uh, I don't feel any pressure from Patreon other than my own guilt if I'm not working hard enough, which is great. It's, it's, it, it just, you know, I, I will never just take like a month off between projects and just relax and think about what I want to do next. I just feel like that that's, you know, um, that's not it, when, when you're getting, when you're doing Patreon monthly, it's like, I want to be doing something, you know, um, all the time. And it's, you know, and it'll always be my full-time job as long as, um, as long as there's uh, Patreon. So it's good. It just, I just think it's, it, it helps me be disciplined. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's talk about that work a little bit. Uh, you, you mentioned, you know, that, that uh, in, internal pressure to, to outdo yourself. And I think it's fair to say you've, you know, you've, you, you've set a new bar with this most recent story, which you called uh, aptly the, the story of us, uh, which is what, over a hundred thousand words. And, uh, still ongoing at the time of this this recording. When when did that project start for you in your mind? Um, I think it's well, truly it started when I was in college and uh, dealing with and just like n- being annoyed with the political culture at the college. I think since um, since then there's been like a lingering 
um, feeling. I, I, there's I've had a lot of a confusing feelings when it comes to politics. You know, one is is just typical partisanship, like left left wing partisanship. I, I, I you know spent the two thousands watching the Daily Show, laughing at George Bush with you know along with a lot of other people I know. Um, and uh, and then there was also like a a general kind of irritance with the left that I think started in college and kind of built. And then there was also separately this this um, insecurity about my own political beliefs and always feeling like I didn't actually know very much and I just like was saying what I was supposed to say and that like I didn't understand how other people had such strong viewpoints about these issues. Like where did they do the when did they do the research on this stuff? When did they learn so much? Or were they kind of full of shit too? Um, and and I think you know these were all kind of kicking around my head. And then the last few years happened, um, um, just across the board, just things just going crazy. Mm-hmm. And, least, sure. Yeah, and um, and 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 then it was finally as a blogger, there was the feeling that this was you know not religion, not you know criticizing the US, you know, not, there was all these things. None of those were scary to me as a blogger. I would, I would write, I would, I'd write about personal things. I would write, I would write about, I wasn't even married. I'd write about marriage. You know, there's a lot of things. I just like, I was pretty fearless. I would take on AI without having ever, you know, been an expert on that before. Um, And, and the, um, and, and this was the one topic where I was like, I was really, um, I felt like a pressure from like the world to not write about this, that, 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 that this would be um, just an overall negative if I write about, you know, what, not even talking about, yeah, specific political issues. You know, I wanted to write, I thought it'd be really interesting to write a post on Israel, Palestine. It really interesting to write a post on abortion. Like these were just interesting topics. Um, and it was, I think it was the, the, the final straw was, I, I was, there was all this stuff with campus assault and rape. And it's this like, really really hard topic it's like i don't know i still don't know like what the solution is for you know something really complicated and there's like a spectrum there and where where should you know lines be drawn and um and i was thinking about writing something and 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 i talked to um you know i talked to a few people who were you know just unequivocally like do not write about that just that is <laughs> yeah absolutely that is the worst thing you could write about and I'm thinking, you know, well, what is it hit me that every other blogger out there who is considering writing about this, um, especially everyone who's considering writing about it in a nuanced way. If I were writing about it saying, you know, um, saying, you know, uh, you know, rape culture is awful and men are awful and men need to change and men need to wake up and women need to be protected. If I'm just saying just the the most down the middle, like safest things you can say about a topic like that, then yeah, those writers are writing. But all the people who wanted to say something nuanced and just really get into like, what's really going on here, if they all are going through my thought process, which is just, okay, anything else, let's move on from that topic and not write about it. Well, what happens? That means that now the only things that are being written about that topic are the down the middle, very, you know, very specific, you know, specific, up- society approved or um uh topic uh uh, sorry viewpoints on it that's not good that's a real big problem what other topics are like that what other topics right now are are is everyone scared to write anything nuanced about and 
that's a huge problem. And it also kind of made me angry as a blogger. I'm like, you know, I can talk about this stuff with nuance with my friends. I know that most of my readers would resonate with this. It's not that my readers, I knew, I know my readers pretty well. And it's not that they will be um, outraged or angry. They, they read, they read with, but why? Because they like nuance. Um, they are more nuanced than I am. I read their comment section and they find little crevices of nuance that I didn't notice. So it wasn't them. It was, it was a small group of people, probably not even people who really read my blog, who I was really scared about. And that was that, and that started to make me quite angry. I was like, what, how, why are those people bullying me? Like into not writing about something that I want to write about. My readers want, want me to, you know, write whatever I am interested in. So who are these people and why are they, what, what's their problem? And that kind of started me on a long road. Um, that was, so that was now that this now is like three years ago, I was in mm-hmm. the middle of 2016 somewhere. And I realized that the, you know, I, rather than get into any one topic, whether it's abortion or Israel, Palestine or campus assault or any of the other comp, you know, uh, hot political topics, immigration, you know, um, yeah, whatever they are, um, rather than get into the weeds of any of those, because frankly, I'm still the same person who's insecure about my beliefs. I don't know what I think about a lot of those. I'm starting, you know, the more I read, the more I develop some viewpoints, but hmm. I still always think of it as, you know, people are, when I hear people arguing about um, minimum wage, to me, that sounds like people arguing about whether like the new Boeing aircraft should use like a, this, you know, this cylinder engine or that cylinder engine. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Um, and if everyone had a strong opinion on that, and it was like, you're supposed to obviously think this, there's a lot of pressure to say that. But I was like, I, I haven't, I don't know that much about engines. And even if I, you know, researched a decent amount, I still wouldn't be like, well, I'm not going to advise Boeing on what to do there. Like there's people who spent their lives on this topic. So when it comes to something like the minimum wage, I'm like, how does everyone else have a viewpoint on this? There's, have you, do you, have you actually like looked at all of the different studies? Mm-hmm. Some of them are saying minimum wages um, should be, is it, higher minimum wage helps um, the poorest people. Lower minimum wage, some people say, actually is better for the poor people. Have you gone and done the complex thing? Well, you know, how, where does this conviction come from? So I still feel like that. And I, I said, you know, rather than me spend a ton of time digging into write about one topic, I'd rather write about this bigger thing, which is why I feel scared to write about this. Hmm. And that, yeah, that led on a three-year rabbit hole <laughs> that took me all the way back to, you know, our evolutionary psychology and, um, and to the concept of, you know, a liberal values, a constitutional democracy. And, and then, you know, the last 30 years um, leading up to today and, and the backdrop for these crazy years and then the crazy years themselves, what's actually going on out there right now? You know, of course, social media is a part of it. And, um, and it, it, it's been really interesting, torturous. It's just <laughs> been a giant topic that is just very hard to um, capture all at once. But it, it's important to me to talk about the entire topic because uh, and all the different angles of it because that's I think where the clarity will come from it's, it's a lot of people writing short op-eds about this but I think that you, you kind of need the full picture to fully kind of see the deal here and so mm-hmm. that, that's what I'm working on at least it's, uh, <laughs> so yeah it's like you said it's, it's it's partially published and will soon be all published and um, and 
uh, it's been it's great to get it finally out there. It's been really frustrating how long it's mm. taken and how big a topic it's been. And the, I miss having written on Wait But Why because I really was, yeah. you know, quiet on there for a long time. So it's great to be publishing now. <laughs> um, I could pull a million things out. I'm going to pull this, this one uh, sentence out. I look around the U.S. and other parts of the world today, and I worry that something is off, that in the chaos of rapid advances in technology and media, our worst tendencies may be quietly uh, breaking free. Um, that, that, that jumped out to me because as a longtime Wait But Why reader, I think one of the consistent messages of, of your many posts, especially when it comes to technology, is, you know, this may seem crazy in the short run, but in the long run, you know, this isn't that big of a deal. Or we're going to figure this out like we figured everything else out. And, and so I'm curious you know, what what your optimism level has been throughout this, this three-year research project, and maybe just kind of breaking down that, that snippet a little bit. Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two lines of thought with anything that seems scary. One is, well, look at the past. And this could go for people being scared of, for example, AI technology. They could say, look at the past. Everyone was scared of the, um, you know, the Luddites were scared of the loom. And people were scared of, this, the, the industrial revolution, and then people were scared of electricity. Uh, people thought that cars were super scary for a while. Uh, they're, they're, they're in England, you know, there had to be someone walking in front of the car, waving a flag to clear the way. I mean, it was people thought this was a really dangerous thing, which you know, of course, it has, kills a lot of people in car accidents. When you invent the car, you also invent the car accident. I forget where I heard that quote. But, <laughs> but, um, but you know, um, but we, we wouldn't. But we don't want to get rid of all cars. Um, planes. I'm sure people were scared of. Obviously, um, people, you know, people were scared of computers. And then there are all these horror stories about, you know, of course, nukes, which still are scary. But the consistent theme is not that you know there is damage; these things do cause harm. But the consistent theme is that people would once they have these things, no one wants to go back to when we didn't, or very few people. Mm -hmm. um which is a sign to me i always you know that's a litmus test um you know there, that's not always true if if you're uh you know a jew in germany in 1935 and someone says would you like to go back to 1915 they'd say yes probably um that's rare usually it in at least for like an american in in our history um almost no one wants to go back and undo technology um we're ha we don't want the pre-internet world, uh, the pre-mobile phone world, the pre-TV and and airplane and car accident uh, car, and, and car world, um, even though these things have problems. So that line of thinking would make you say the AI is is another one of these things. Everyone's scared. Here we here we go again. Everyone's scared. Everyone's creating horror stories, and then it'll be here, and the, and it'll be incredibly powerful. It'll be good and bad, but on the balance much better than it is bad and no one will want to go back to the world where humans are doing all of these menial things when ai hasn't cured cancer and figured out poverty and figured out climate change and helped us live um you know way longer if, if not you know as long as we want when getting to choose when you die I mean, these are the crazy things AI could do no one would ever want to go back to before that okay that's one line of thought the other line of thought here is that you know what like if a tech if if, if a if a civilization somewhere in the universe is getting more and more technology and they're getting better and better uh, with their technology. And at some point they create a technology that actually does them in. 
they would have that thought. They would think, well, so far it's always been fine. So they would get this right. kind of arrogance about it. They would get comfortable with it. And maybe that's why they would keep going until they eventually, this is what Nick Bostrom calls it, like each technology is pulling out a marble out of an urn. And one of them is like the black ball. And that's the, that, that's the one that does you in. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if your whole record is, well, we haven't picked the black ball yet, you're going to start to maybe feel like that's a rule where there is there, there, all of these marbles are fine. Marbles in general are fine. When if there is a black ball, well, yeah, then it's going to hit you and you're not going to see it coming. So the question is, is something like AI, um, like, is it a potential black ball or is it another one of these? And, you know, that, and it's hard to know. So I would say the same thing goes for um, a lot of the social patterns I see right now. So you've got all of these, um, you've got this, what I, I see as a, a, you know, I think we ebb and flow in kind of grown upness. I think, first of all, every human ebbs and flows in grown upness. You know, you know, you're having, even just looking at your parents, there's some things your parents are so wise about, you know, that they're just wise. You respect them for it. And there's other things that you feel like you have to raise them. It's in, we are inconsistent in our grown upness, and even on a good day, you know, you just are being you're just being a wiser person, and on a bad day, you're kind of you're doing stuff you end up regretting. Um, well, I think society is the same way. I think we ebb and flow. Uh, I think that the day after 9/11 in New York City, you know, the week after, and everyone is strangers are hugging strangers, everyone is helping each other, and it just feels like that wasn't because everyone feels like being nice as much as they, there was a perspective suddenly. Everyone had this, uh, delusion was splashed. In the everyone was splashed in the face their delusion was gone for a second and all anyone can think about is like i love these people like we're, we're all in this together like we you know like you're another you're a human like me like give me a hug basically it was like um and i feel like it, it, it was it was wisdom there, there there was all there wasn't a delusion there i think people were seeing reality for a second and just remind, remembering that 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 like we're all a bunch of basically like you're you're just a bunch of atoms who happen to have consciousness and in vast space and time, these other people happen to be the same thing as you in the same time, in the same exact place. It's this crazy thing that they're here also. And that it, to hate, spending your life hating other, other versions of is so silly. It doesn't make any sense. You should all be in awe of the fact that we're here and like trying to help each other, you know, do the best we can. No, I'm, I'm saying this and I'm not some guru. I, I, I forget this like everyone else. Um, it's just that there's moments when we're reminded and we have this wisdom. So I think society itself goes up and down where, you know, I think the, the before World War One, I, I wasn't around, but from what I've heard about it, it was a, probably a time in Europe where, where we had gone down. We had gone, we had started to, the countries had, uh, the nationalism gotten out of control and people had forgotten about the costs of war and, um, and you ended up, um, in this awful, it, it, it spiraled downward, you know, until something snapped and it all exploded and, you know, 50 million people die. And in the aftermath and the rubble, mm -hmm. there's probably, a, a the, the, the air is cleared of some delusion for a while. And there was probably, I, I would imagine that, you know, the twenties were a period of, of wisdom, the fifties after World War II, I imagine there was some level of, um, coming together in, in, a, in a way, you know, at least in, in some parts of society. So I don't know. Those are just my guesses. But um, to, to me right now, we're, we're spiraling down. We're spiraling mm -hmm. towards, um, it started again, you know, I would say 30, 40 years ago, uh, po politically, it started to get more contentious and I, a million you know, specific reasons for that. But 
there's a lot of reasons. We haven't had a common enemy in a long time uh, in the U.S. There hasn't been a Hitler, you know, in a long, long time, or even a Soviet Union. Um, there, people are moving into more politically uh, uniform neighbor neighborhoods now. That people move more once people start moving. If they have that preference to move into their into neighborhoods with people like them, then suddenly that there's this great interactive on the site and case. Um, Mickey Case's site, I forget the exact, it was .com or whatever, but it's um, it's an amazing interactive about, um, you know, when you have just a little preference to live with or, around people that either look like you or think like you, once people are moving a lot, that quickly turns into every neighborhood is uniform for lots of complicated reasons, even if people only want that a little bit. So that's been happening. Then you have the media turning from, you know, more national media to more tribal, you know, party specific media. You've got social media, of course, riling up everyone's childish side. Uh, and that's like an epidemic. It spreads. And then everyone's acting more childish. And then, you know, and then that that begets more of that. Uh, so there, and there's many more reasons. And you end up with um, a downward trajectory. And I think it spans the West. I think I don't know what's going on in, in Japan or wherever, but in, in Europe. I feel like it's a similar trajectory is going on, probably for similar reasons. And you end up um, uh, going down to a point where now I think about, okay, again, in the past, we've done this. The 1890s were hideously politically polarized time in the U.S. Uh, we had the Civil War. You know, whatever's happening now, we're not, we're not at war, physical war with each other. Um, and then you had things like, you know, World War One and Two, you know, and, and, and the, the Yes, those things were awful, but the big lesson is, well, we survived. You know, it's sometimes almost like sometimes it needs to happen. You know, this is what this is the pattern, and we go down, and something bad happens, and then we come back. And the question is, is that like that, or is this time different? If we spiral down now with this level of technology that we've got, which is a whole different level, do we not have an outcome that we can survive? You know, and again, I'm talking about point G, just say, uh, on this. And we're right now at point at D, maybe. You know, but, but we've gone from B to C to D in the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. And each of those steps feels natural at the time. You know, point G seems unfathomable. But point E doesn't seem unfathomable anymore from point D. You know, whatever I would paint point E is a time where it's even more polarized. There's, there's, there's you know... Um, there, there, there's actual talk of potential civil war in the U.S., even though it's not happening. And, um, and you know, I don't know, there's there's a, a lot more violence in the street. You know, things like that, that's point E. Maybe we can envision that now in a way we couldn't when we were back on point B or C. But you can't really picture point F yet. But once you're on point E, now point F doesn't seem so crazy. Before you know it, we're at point right. G, you know, which is a place where with today's technology, we end up in this some kind of vast super war or less awful than that we just don't have our wits about us at a time when we're creating stuff like like super intelligent ai and you know trying to figure out the genetic engineering uh plan here and brain machine interfaces and all these other crazy you know paradigm shifting technologies that can be really really good or really really bad um and we we need to have our wits about us we're like a, a, a lab technician creating this powerful thing and we're we're getting drunker as we're doing it. We keep drink. We're get we're getting we're getting more childish. We're getting less clarity right now, and and because of this, and that's an I think a really awful trend. So going back to your that that's what I was talking about in that quote you said, mm -hmm. um, which is that 
you know, I look at the technology that's that's both scaring people and exciting people and bringing kind of and, and maybe some, sometimes making people just fog up with excitement so they're not thinking that hard about it. But also there's technology like social media that uh, has unintended, unanticipated consequences. We haven't done this before. We can't look back to say, oh, well, in the 1300s, when social media started back in that time, you know, we saw that, you know, that was, or there was the Wild West. And then we saw how that panned out. Well, this is the wild, different kind of Wild West on the internet right now. And we've never done it before. We have no idea if this is something that ends, if, if, if this happens a lot throughout the universe, talking about the fairy paradox and different civilizations, we don't know if this is a trademark moment when everything goes to shit or whether this is a normal bump in the road. And so if it's a trademark moment when everything goes to shit, we don't know that. And we're gonna we're not gonna see it probably till it's too late unless we have like immense clarity and immense uh, courage to stand up to some of the people that are bringing, helping to bring the trajectory down. Um, and uh, and so that, that's, you know, I think we need those kind of two things like a kind of clarity right now and courage um, and that's hard. So that, that's part of why I'm writing this. I'm trying to like help at least nudge. Uh, I'm trying, you know, I've spent three years building my own clarity and I'm trying mm -hmm. to, you know, now do that courage part and actually put it out there and help, um, at least my readers, um, uh, just see this story the way I'm seeing it and see if they agree. And if they agree, then maybe they can also be getting out there and spreading this, this idea that, that like, this is not the time to be politically polarizing more and more. It's an awful, awful timing to be hating each other more. It's, we need to be focusing on, on, it reminds me of Game of Thrones. It's like, we're all fighting each other and like forgetting about the White Walkers. And it's like, I'm trying to write a post about the White Walkers basically <laughs> uh, and how uh, how uh, fighting each other makes absolutely no sense right now. Um, yeah. And it doesn't make sense anyway. It's, it's a very primitive <laughs> impulse. Right. It doesn't actually map onto society. Yeah. Um, and, and I think one of the, you know the the antagonists of, of the story, I suppose, is, is this tendency towards uh, echo chambers, which which you outlined in, in your most recent uh, post as of this recording. Uh, and I'm curious if that was something that you identified early on, and and I'm also curious for you personally if you've you know recognized maybe echo chambers you didn't previously see yourself as being uh, part of as, uh, during your research. Yeah, so I, we all you know know the term echo chamber, but one of the things that kind of hit me while writing this. Um, this post is that we think of echo chamber as a like a community of some kind that is an echo chamber meaning they all are saying the same thing or they're all not allowed to say anything other than the same thing um and what hit me that it's 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 it's, it's better it's more accurate to say it's an intellectual culture and any group of people you know a couple uh, a group of friends a church community um a classroom and then all the way up to a whole a whole political party or a whole movement or a whole country or whatever any of those can be can can have an echo chamber culture when it comes to certain topics some have a general echo chamber culture where it's like disagreeing is not cool and disagreeing is seen as rudeness it's seen as the same as rudeness and so you know uh everyone agrees all the time there's friend groups like that where if you go to a movie and someone likes it, you know, everyone's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. You know, everyone's trying to figure out what everyone else thinks so they can say the right thing. That's general echo chamber culture. Other times you can have a, a culture that's not like that. I call it an idea lab culture, an idea lab, which is the opposite. It's like uh, people are use ideas as experiments, like little machines, and they kick each other's ideas and they tinker with them and they play with them, trying to make them better. So no one gets offended when someone disagrees with them. It's seen as a virtue. It's seen as um, 
if you're disagreeing uh, with someone, it is a um, it is interesting and it's helping everyone get smarter. And it's what interesting people do is they, of course, they disagree all the time. So I think some some things are after chamber culture in general, and some are actually pretty good idea labs. But when it comes to a certain topic, whether it's religion or whether it's something in politics or whether it's a particularly sensitive issue or whether it's the kind of music that's cool or not cool, it, it, that that converts the community converts to an echo chamber on that topic where no one's allowed to disagree with that. And I think once you kind of think of it this way, you, you of course you notice echo chambers all over the place. You notice them in your own lives. Sometimes someone's imposing them on you. Sometimes you're the one imposing the echo chamber. Actually, people are saying this thing because they know you'll freak out if they say something different. Everyone is, you know, no one is is free of this uh, tendency. And again, it makes sense because in the ancient world, there needed to be ways to glue people together into larger kind of organisms, uh, you know, these tribes that are, I think of as almost like an ant colony, like a larger animal that could beat the other large animals. You needed to glue a lot of people together to cooperate and to fight together and to help each other. And family ties was a decent way to do that. But um, a better way to do that is with ideas. If we can all have the same sacred God or the same beliefs, we can, you know, that can that can be our queen bee that can tie a bunch of people way more than family ties can together. And that that's the glue. And uh, so we have this tendency to glue around ideas and, and, and the community bonds around agreement itself. That is a real tendency all of us have, even though it doesn't make any sense today. It's way more interesting to bond around common values and disagree with each other on, on ideas because no one's that right. So we all get a little bit less wrong doing that. Um, but it's it's like how we had the same tendency. I use the example of Skittles. We all have the tendency to eat a bunch of candy. Um, and part of our brain knows that makes no sense um, in today's world. But back then when we evolved, yeah, it made sense to eat dense calorie rich food whenever you could find it. So it's an error, it's a glitch today. And I would say the same thing. These echo chambers are a glitch today. They're a mistake that is making our society worse, that makes our communities worse, that makes our brains worse. But if we don't, and this is again, coming back to if we see it, if we have clarity, we see this culture when it's happening and then courage to actually stand up and try to buck that culture, we can change it. Um, if you have those two things, then we can fix things. Um, but most of us are not very conscious of this. I certainly wasn't before writing this. I wasn't thinking about it nearly as hard. So, yeah, I think it's something to look out for for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a few minutes left. I want to ask, you know, in terms of takeaways and also looking forward, you wrote a little bit about, about 2016 and 2016 in terms of the election, uh, about one of the debates and, and the results. Do you have plans in, in 2020 to, to cover uh, or, or to write about the, the topics and discussions that, that are sure to arise during the, the election? Um, so I don't plan anytime soon to actually get into the weeds of actual politics and start saying, here's why this is the right immigration policy. And here's why this is the right trade policy. That, that's fine. Those are totally doable. Like I, if I wrote about AI, there's no reason I can't write about trade. I would do the same thing. I would dig in for a bunch of weeks. I would read about the history of trade and I'd read about um, all the implications and I'd read a bunch of people on both sides. And I'd start to try to develop either a viewpoint or at least be an explainer on how it works. So those are all possibilities, but I don't want to, I'm not going to come out with anything without that level of research. And I don't see myself wanting to dig further into politics right now because I'm, 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 I'm politics out. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll probably finish this series. And other than making fun of debates, I wrote a mock mm -hmm. debate 
uh, thing after the last one of the, the town hall of the 16 election. That was fun just because being making fun of campaigns is fun. But I don't want to. Yeah, I, even if I write about something, you know, like some exciting technology, I then want to do something totally different after I get really um, sick of it. So. <laughs> No, I think I will not be weighing in on the debate very much, uh, yeah. probably. Um, but I think I think hopefully that this series can give people tools to think a little clearer about the election mm-hmm. um, and about um, just to like actually, you know, and about the discussions they're having about the election and the implications of all that. Yeah. Did the, the other, I think, big shift change while you've been uh, away from the Internet has been you know, a, a large tech backlash for 2017, 2018, I think maybe 2019, most of all uh, against monopoly powers, against some of these specific technologies and, and platforms. Uh, and and you, know, you, you describe technology as, as, a, as a monster god uh, in, in the past, which for, for better or for worse. I'm curious how, you, how you've uh, taken in, you know, the, the, the shift in conversation and maybe how it affects your, your thinking and your, and your writing going forward. Um, yeah, I, I think... Um... I think in some ways, uh, if you look at like, we, we, we again, to go back, we, we evolved at a time when very little changed. So we could really, really wrap our heads around the world mm-hmm. the way it was. And we could all, the could, wisdom could build up. It's like an accumulation. If six generations, 10,000 years ago in a row, six generations in a row lived on the same piece of land with the same kind of values, it's like a trial and error thing where eventually they get really good at, they get really good at living life that way. Like a wisdom builds up, um, which is kind of an accumulation of, of truth, um, is, is, is wisdom. And now the world from two generations ago, you know, changes so rapidly. Like I, my grandmother gives me advice and on the universal things like love and commitment and relationships and, um, and, you know, family and whatever she's she's the wisest person I know. Mm-hmm. on things like what I should be doing with my career. She yeah. thinks she knows. She has absolutely <laughs> no idea what she's mm-hmm. talking about. Um, and it's not her fault. She became wise for a world that's no longer here. If she were advising me about careers in 1942, I'd, I'd, she'd be right on, I'm sure. Um, uh, but right now she doesn't because that, that's this weird situation where the world's changing so fast that wisdom ha- doesn't have time to build up. Uh, that's now exponentially going even faster. So it's 10 years ago, the world was totally different. You know, VCs are trying to, you know, scramble to figure out what what the, 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 how the world's changed from two years ago. Um, You know, career advice today should be totally different than career advice five or 10 years ago. Um, That is crazy. We're not good at this. Like we're, we're actually pretty wrong as people. People are wrong generally. And the, the reason that we can get right is because we have enough time for all the wrongness to balance out and to, so what scares me is, you know, it's something like I look at like Facebook. Um, it's, it's Facebook is just trying to figure out what the hell they're building and what it means and what it means in a changing world. And I feel for them. I don't criticize any of those people. I think that they did not anticipate to be in this situation, and now they're doing the best they can. Um, and uh, and so I, 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 it does scare me in that I see. Um, I just, I just don't think we're very good at this. This rapid, when things change this this quickly, uh, and tech, you know, something like tech, like we don't have the wisdom to know about tech monopolies yet. Um, maybe you know, look, like like the the the, the trust buster era with you know, 
you know, Teddy Roosevelt, I don't know that much about this, but I know that, you know, that, that took a, um, you know, over a hundred years of the U.S. to figure out that that was a good thing to do. There's going to be something if we just stagnated this world for a hundred years, that in a hundred years, we'd say, oh, here's the deal with tech. Here's how you have to, you know, break up these companies or not. We don't know that yet. So all we can do is guess. And meanwhile, there's new companies being built that are exploding upwards. And so we really need to be clear headed and courageous. That's all I can say is just come back to that. It's like, uh, if you, if you, you need to be clear headed to try to our best to, you know, go over our pay grade and see what's going on in real time as it's changing. And then have the courage to say that when you think something, because it's re the status quo has a fierce survival instinct. It doesn't like to be challenged. There'll be people all, all for all different reasons that will come out and be mad at you if you're challenging the status quo. So you always need courage um, in this kind of line of thought. Fantastic courage. That's a, uh, that's a good note to end on. Yeah. <laughs> it's easier said than done. Yeah. Tim Urban, thank you so much for joining the Sunday Long Read podcast today. I want to thank Julian McKenzie, this week's producer, for for making it happen and putting it in, in, in your ears, the listeners, who, who I thank most of all for, for sticking with us again. We're going to have probably one more podcast this calendar year, so make sure to, to subscribe, rate, and review. And, and, and Tim Urban, thanks again. 